Welcome to Let's Talk Diz, a show that gives you everything you need to know to help make your Disney vacation as magical as can be in just about 20 minutes. I'm your host, Jeff Coviello. With me each week is Disney Master Sandy from Easy Diz by Instant Impressions Travel Services. Sandy, how are you tonight? I'm doing great, and I am excited to have a Hollywood night. Full disclosure, one of my favorite things to talk about. When you think about Walt Disney, the first thing that comes to my mind is storyteller. And he really made his bones in America by telling stories on the big screen. And so tonight we thought it would be a really, really fun adventure to talk about the movies that make up the Walt Disney World experience and talk about maybe what came first, what came second, what inspired what. Uh, There's just such a rich history there. So we had talked about it. We were a little bit overwhelmed by it. Um, but I think it's going to be a fun conversation, so I'm excited to travel down uh, Hollywood Boulevard with you. Are you ready, Sandy? I'm ready, and I think it's one of the unique perspectives that they bring. We have clients who tell us that one of the ways that they get ready for their Disney vacation and they count down the weeks to go is that they do Disney nights at their house. They're pulling out Finding Nemo and Little Mermaid and all of those movies so that the kids can see them so that they're ready for the park. But the reality is, either way works. You can see the movies, and that makes you maybe want to seek out a certain character or love something more, but the stories are rich enough in the park that you can enjoy every attraction without having seen them. And by the way, it's not exclusive to any age group. Right? So the things that my daughter and my son, who are very small, are going to enjoy, my wife and I can sit down like we did the other night and watch The Force Awakens and see exactly what we hope to see when we return to Disney's Hollywood Studios. So age does not matter. There there are things all over that we're going to talk about that the movies have inspired or that they've inspired movies themselves. So where would you like to begin? The floor is yours. Kind of do a little bit of reverse. There are so many movies that inspired attractions, but I've got two for you that went the other way around attractions that inspired movies. So we know a classic that exists in different forms in all of the Disney parks is the Haunted Mansion. It's an original attraction, a beloved attraction, but it actually didn't become a movie till 2003. And I have to say, when I first saw the previews, I don't know about you, I think Eddie Murphy is really funny, but I had such a hard time envisioning him in that movie. But it was awesome. It worked so well. And that was a, which came first? We had the attraction first. The the reality is, taking something like The Haunted Mansion, which has such a cult following, and then making it into a film, there's so many things that you could do wrong right along the way. So it was definitely not an easy task to put that onto the silver screen. And I think it's one of the unique things that we see in order to keep people happy and maybe even, I know this is going to be hard to believe, a little bit less judgmental. When we see them translate things from a movie to the theme park and then maybe into a stage show, it changes ever so slightly. They and a look at the costuming in a new way. Maybe they embellish a part of the story so that you can really see it 
through the same eyes, but a slightly different lens. The next one we're going to talk about is is yet to be released, and it features the biggest movie star on the planet right now, Dwayne The Rock Johnson. Talk to us about what we, I guess, could come to expect and what we're excited to see out of Jungle Cruise. Your guess is probably as good as mine, <laughs> but he definitely is not known for disappointing. And so again, we've got this classic attraction, so classic. It began in Disneyland, then went to Walt Disney World, and now it's taken till 2021 for them to say, you know, it's time to bring this to the big screen. So those are two of my favorites that were just an attraction in their beginning stages. If I go see this Jungle Cruise movie, which of course I will, I'll, I'll be there the, the first day that it's available, and there's not a backside of water reference, I might just walk out of the theater. I really might. I might never see another Dwayne The Rock Johnson movie again. So if you're listening, which we know you are, Dwayne, the backside of water has to end up in the final film. It is definitely the classic joke of that ride. You gave your couple that you led with. I'm going to give you a couple more. When I saw this movie in the theater, I was floored because it was such an iconic ride that I've been on a million times, and certain scenes that were in this film were lifted directly from the attraction to the point where I was sitting next to somebody and said, that's exactly it, and they had no idea what I was talking about. <laughs> of, course, of course I'm talking about the original Pirates of the Caribbean, The Curse of the Black Pearl, that debuted all the way back in 2003, I'm talking about specifically the scene when the town is getting ransacked and they're in the jail cell and they're whistling to the dog to try to get the key. It was the absolute perfect representation on screen for what I had known and lived as this immersive experience from when I was a little kid all the way up until 2003 when I was a, not such a little kid. Um, of course, it went on to to spawn you know a, a series of five movies that you know some of them were obviously more successful than others, but to me... That first movie, The Curse of the Black Pearl, was just so iconic and lifted so much awesome material from that attraction that I'll, I'll never forget it. It's one of those movie-going experiences that I will never forget because it was so inextricably linked to a, a series of experiences I had had as a kid inside the Magic Kingdom. It was just absolutely tremendous. Now, I'm going to cheat a little bit, Jeff. I'm going to leave the theme park for a minute. Okay. And I'm going to take you to Castaway K. Okay. Because I remember going one time when after they finished filming Pirates, they took the Flying Dutchman and anchored it there so that when your ship pulled in, you could see the Flying Dutchman in the Bahamian water that they used on the movie set. So Talk about bringing the movie to life. That was just an incredible experience. There's not another company on the planet that can do that, right? They have their hands in so many different things that are just presenting these stories. It's exactly what we talked about in the beginning. Walt Disney creating stories. The company continues to create stories, takes intellectual property that they've used in one place and puts it in another. Just, just really, really dynamic. Okay, I could go on for hours. Before we get to the rides, how about we, some, we talk about some of the lands that exist throughout, you know, the Disney properties that are tied to movies. So some of the movies are just so incredible that one ride wouldn't do it justice. In Animal Kingdom, we have Pandora. We've got multiple rides all around that movie and those future movies to come in both 
Walt Disney World in Hollywood Studios and in Disneyland Paris. We have Toy Story Land. And Toy Story Land was actually in Paris before it was in Walt Disney World. So I got to see it many, many moons ago. And unlike the next land that I'm going to talk about, well, their similarity is they're built a little bit different. The one that we know that is our newest, that we all love, that is identical on both coasts is, of course, Star Wars Galaxy's Edge. And there is nothing like that land and the infusion of everything from the characters to the food to the way you purchase souvenirs to the show elements. It's just amazing. Then we can go out to Disneyland in California Adventure, Pixar Pier, all of our favorites from those movies. And in Hong Kong, this coming year, they're opening a frozen land. It'll have a ride like we see in Epcot, but something new, Oaken Sliding Sleigh Coasters. And I will tell you that I saw a sneak peek of Oaken's probably almost two years ago. When I did my adventure by Disney, the backstage magic, and we were in Imagineering, the large-scale prototype model was sitting on a table and all these fine carvings, and we're all looking at it, trying to figure out what it is. And we were told it is the prototype for Oaken. So really cool to kind of get that backstage peek before it got out there. I'm really anxious to see it and see how it kind of comes to fruition. So, so many neat movies that really bring things to life in the park. And all of those examples are really more current. But if we want to talk about things in the park, it really goes way back. I mean, it starts with Snow White, the Academy Award-winning film that kind of put Walt on the map. So we're going back to 1940s, inspired a ride that actually didn't get made till almost 70 some odd years later, our new favorite, the Seven Dwarfs Mine Train, is movie inspired. We've been there, so it you do remember it, but it's tough to imagine that park without that roller coaster right in the middle of it. If you really think back what you know about the Magic Kingdom, Seven Dwarfs Mine Train took the space of another classic Disney movie. That was the former home of the 1954 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and and it actually segues also, if we're talking just the Magic Kingdom, right into the Little Mermaid ride, which is also right there, which which takes up residency in that in that new Fantasyland area. Not it's not new anymore, but the the renovated area of Fantasyland where you now got Seven Dwarfs Mine Train, you've got the little the Voyage of the Little Mermaid. You know, these things that, that did have that space that used to be 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea, where if, you're, if you look closely enough in either queue or either attraction, you can still see obvious Imagineer nods to the, the previous attraction that was there. It's really amazing, again, how those characters come to life in such a different way that seeing the movie, you come to love your character. But if you haven't seen the movie you can still love it. So probably a great example of that is going to be Splash Mountain. Mm. These families, most of them haven't seen Song of the South. It came out before most of our park goers were even born. But again, you can come 
to love those characters. And, but you, also love- and you better you better get to loving them very quickly because there is going to be a reimagining of that particular attraction coming our way very shortly too. They are going to become Tiana and friends. And, you know, as I kind of reflected on the movies and how they are in the park, and one of the things that I kind of struggled with is, is it too much? Is it too little? And I think a great example of that is Beauty and the Beast. Because I was like, oh, you know, that's a princess thing. And I thought about it for a minute. We've got story time with Belle. Then we can eat in Beast Castle, which has that great room with all the tapestries and the statue of Belle. So you feel her influence there. You can head over to... Hollywood Studios and see the Beauty and the Beast stage show. And just recently, you can now head to Epcot and over in France, check out the Beauty and the Beast sing-along. And even though she's in three parks, it's in such different ways that I don't feel like she's flooding the parks. And that doesn't even count her character appearances. Very immersive experiences, especially when you throw in the Be Our Guest restaurant and things like that. So just really taking the experience and, and making it something that you can sit in and you're not a, you're not a passive observer on, right? It, it, it's, it's a very different experience at the Magic Kingdom than it would be if you went to Hollywood Studios and sat and watched the show. It doesn't make one better than the other, but they are definitely different to your point. Let's talk about, I guess, one we missed that, that's a, an easy one is Dumbo, right? I mean, we didn't even talk about Dumbo. It's one of the most iconic, iconic rides attractions that you'll see at the Magic Kingdom. And I think, like you said, not only is it so iconic, I remember not riding Dumbo too often as a child. And I now understand as somebody who does Disney all the time, and I talk to my clients about Dumbo, before New Fantasyland came to be, I always talked about Dumbo as what we call a slow loader. Everybody gets on, the ride goes, nobody gets on for those two minutes, it's in the air and it starts again. And that Dumbo ride came from the 1941 movie. But then it was so popular and always had such a long line. The popularity, I think, spewed that remake of the movie in 2019. And that's when Disney said, we need to look at this. How do we get more people in this ride? And I love what they did with it. They moved it, which is just mind-boggling to me. You know, how do you move an attraction? (laughs) But they moved it so they could create a second one, which makes the ride go faster. But they enhanced it again. They added that circus tent that you see in the movie. And inside this nice, cool circus tent becomes a waiting area and a play area so the kids can play while you wait for your pager to go off for the ride ingenious and so much fun to just watch your kids run around in there too i mean it really is just a a, a great spot and again it makes you feel like you're in this big top tent it's good for kids and for parents alike and to be fair in the florida heat it's not it's not such a bad place to sit down and <laughs> take a load off while you're waiting to go on the attraction it's it's really really well done let's move from heat to blistering cold frozen obviously tremendously successful film and they didn't stop there they've brought that successful film operation and put it right into the parks sometimes with a little bit of pushback from some disney 
uh, historians, so to speak, or loyalists, but they've done a very good job of taking that frozen experience and applying it in their parks. So I think it was a little bit of a mix. I think a lot of people are going to nod their head when I say it. When they talked about building a frozen ride, I thought if I heard that song one more time, I might just have to scream. <laughs> Let it um, go. Let and it go. So I, I have to be honest, I wasn't looking forward to it. But I was there opening day. It was hot as could be, even though it was frozen. It opened in June in the heat of Florida. I waited outside in a very long line for something that I wasn't positive I was going to love. And I have to say, the work they did on that attraction was incredible. It really made me love it. It's one of my favorites to ride in that park now. The animatronics are great. The music is well-infused, brings you into the storyline. And there, well, in Epcot, it doesn't have its own land. It has its own area. It also took the ever-popular sisters, Anna and Elsa, and gave them their own meet and greet. It's fun there. It's fun to head over to Hollywood Studios and do the sing-along, which I love. It's very different than the Beauty and the Beast sing-along. The Beauty and the Beast one that I talked about a minute ago is a movie where the Frozen sing-along is actors up on stage. Not only do you sing with them, but they have some great comedic relief. So again, really pulling the parents in, not making you dread it. And headed to the other coast again when Jeff mentioned things that people didn't want to see leave. I was super sad to see Aladdin leave the Hyperion Theater in Disney's California Adventure. I loved that show. Um, I know people that performed in that show. They did such amazing work with the carpet flying and everything. I didn't think they could top it. But Frozen at the Hyperion... Broadway caliber show you definitely shouldn't miss a great time. It is one of those things where I almost didn't want it to be good. Yes. <laughs> and then and then once I got there, I I quickly realized that all of my fears are are silly and I should just trust that the company is going to do the right thing and they did. So let's move on to Finding Nemo, which finds itself in two places in Florida. That's right. We can find it in Epcot in the attraction, a super quick loader, and it's an attraction and a whole pavilion. So it's a great educational opportunity. You can see and learn all about the fish and the wildlife there. Head over to Animal Kingdom. Again, incredible caliber Broadway style show. And if you're in Disneyland, Well, they too got rid of 20,000 leagues under the sea. Instead of filling that water pit and getting rid of their submarines, they rethemed it to the Finding Nemo submarine voyage. So if you're still looking for that submarine experience because you love small spaces and climbing down (laughs) that ladder and listening to the hatch close, head out to California. It's very 2020 inspired right now. (laughs) The next thing we're going to talk about is... It's not even a question. It's my favorite theatrical experience next to the Hoop Did You Review on property. And it's the Festival of the Lion King at Disney's Animal Kingdom. My family is huge Festival of the Lion King fans. I've talked about this before. Festival had a home several years ago. They moved it from one theater to the other. And 
I know the Imagineers had a reason that they didn't move it from one day to the next. It actually was on hiatus for several months. But we flew down for the very last show. And we watched that last show, I think, five times on its final day because it is just our favorite and we didn't want to miss it. But we also really love its new home and we love to catch it there in its new theater. Very fun. Okay, staying at Animal Kingdom, uh, Dinosaur. Dinosaur actually was not Dinosaur originally. It was Countdown to Extinction. And it changed when they released that movie. And they made a bunch of changes. It wasn't just, let's put a new sign on. The dinosaur movie appealed to a younger crowd. So they took those time rovers, that ride vehicle that you got in. They slowed it down a little bit. They controlled it differently. So it didn't have as much motion. It didn't have as many bumps. They took the incredibly loud roar of the dinosaurs and brought it down a little bit to make it more kid-friendly. And all of those changes, here's a weird one for you, actually allowed a height change. So it went from being a 46-inch tall requirement for that attraction down to a 40-inch, and now it boasts the dinosaurs of the current movie. Sandy, imagine, if you will, a world where there is a tower of terror. <laughs> it's tough to see. This is this is an actual an IP, I guess an intellectual property that originally wasn't Disney, the Hollywood Tower of Terror. I bet you if you were to go stand at the Tower of Terror entrance and kind of pull people going by, I'm willing to bet you half of them have never even seen. And it still doesn't mean they can't love that attraction when they visit their favorite bellhop. Well, and they certainly have no, probably have no idea who Rod Serling is, and I've never heard of the Twilight Zone, so just, you know, one thing after the other. All right, listen, obviously, uh, we didn't get them all, but, you know, what didn't we cover that you want to just quickly run through for anybody that's that's sitting there banging their fist on their dashboard saying, you forgot this? What Which ones do we want to just give, I guess, a quick honorable mention to? I think we didn't get to more of the cartoon ones. We got to the movie ones. So we didn't talk about all of those Disney Junior characters that we love. We also, we somehow left out our friends from Cars. Lightning McQueen, Radiator Racers out in Disneyland, and the new attraction in Hollywood Studios featuring the Cars. And again, cartoon-wise, one of my favorite things to do in Epcot are the digital scavenger hunts. They were originally Kim Possible themed and you had your communicator. Then they became Agent P with our friend Perry the Platypus. And they are actually in the midst of being revamped again with Huey, Dewey, Louie, Scrooge McDuck and all of our DuckTale friends. So, so many opportunities to see our favorites. But again, the opposite, so many opportunities to find new favorites, new movies, new shows that you haven't seen, that maybe when you get home from vacation, you've got a new favorite character and you want to know more about him or her. So if you do have a favorite character and we didn't, or a favorite movie and we didn't mention it tonight, perhaps you're a Marvel person. We didn't even talk about Avengers Campus that's coming to California. We didn't talk about Remy that's coming to Epcot that already exists abroad. Anything that you think that we have just, it's blasphemy that we left off of our list, reach out to us on social. Let's talk this podcast on both Facebook and Instagram and give us a shout. Let us know what you, what you think we, we left off our list that you'd like to hear about. 
Um, Sandy, thanks for taking the time to walk down this really, really extensive list. There's no way we got them all, but it was fun talking about some of your favorite films and the attractions that have inspired them and vice versa. It was neat. It's making me really want to go, uh, queue up my movies and take a watch of some of the ones I haven't seen in quite a while. That's why God invented Disney plus. There we go. And that's a wrap this week on Let's Talk Diz. If anyone you know could benefit from this or any show, please share, have them like, and subscribe. And don't forget to reach out to the folks at Easy Diz by Instant Impressions Travel Services for any Disney destination planning. Make it a great week. And as always, keep making memories.